When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Ugly win this week, but a win is a win. We have a lot of things to say as the Ravens enter their bye week 5-1. and one. We're going to try to stay positive. We have some negatives to talk about. we got to get them out of the way, but we are also going to talk Positively about a five and one Ravens team. I'm Antonio Barbera. I'm going to introduce my two co-hosts here in a minute. First on the East Coast, out of Washington D.C., Tim Horsey. Tim, how's your heart? How's your head? How you feeling after that game? I'm conflicted. Uh, I'm very, very conflicted. The Ravens are five and one. The only other two times they've been five and one, they won the Super Bowl. Uh, but this team is not a five and one football team, which we're going to get into. So. Conflicted is probably the best best thing I could say about them. And out of Los Angeles, looking shaggy as ever, Jace Evan. I wish we, you know, we got to get some video going on this at some point because the headband is looking great, the hair is looking great. Very Gardner Minshew of you, except a winning Gardner Minshew, not a losing Gardner Minshew. And that's Jace Evans on the West Coast. Jace, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, similar to Tim, um, I think I was doing pretty fine for uh especially three quarters yesterday uh and then the wheels kind of came off for the ravens and that sent me uh spiraling back to i think the fan i used to be the fan i probably still am under the surface uh lots of texts were exchanged things were said uh but like we said the ravens did win which is a lot better than the alternative uh 
But no shortage of takeaways, I think, <laughs> from this game. And one of the the weirder, stranger, more aggravating wins, certainly, the Ravens have had in a long time. Yeah, I, I texted you guys before the game started because when we made the pick for this game last week, the line was 7.5 points, and we all liked it. We all picked the Ravens, 7.5, great, book it. And by kickoff, the line had gone up to 10 points. And the only thing that seemingly had happened was that the Ravens' best interior lineman was not playing, and that was Brandon Williams. <laughs> so, uh, some red flags, and then the Ravens come out to a 17 to nothing lead, and we, th- I was thinking, oh, like, no, had it the whole time, this is going to be that typical Ravens game, big lead, this game is over, they're playing a bad team, a team that looked very, very bad in, in Philadelphia to start this game. And then the mistakes started to happen, as Jace talked about, the wheels sort of fell off, and the Ravens let a Philadelphia team claw back with seemingly just mistakes by the Ravens as opposed to Philadelphia going and taking this game. But the Ravens able to hang on by stopping the fourth two-point conversion attempt of the game. They (laughs) succeeded on two of them, but they were able to stop the Eagles on their fourth two-point attempt and, and run away from Philadelphia with a two-point win. So I'm going to turn to you guys now as we talk about this first half and the Ravens coming out to a lead and then going into halftime. Things that uh, that you liked, you know, things when when things were still looking rosy uh, or some, uh, some things you, you didn't like or foreboding issues that then came up later in the game. Yeah, I mean, if we're just going to start with the first half um, because – it sounds cliche, but this game was a tale of two halves, literally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jace, not to steal your take, but Jace texted us in our in our group chat, and I kind of agreed with him. He was said, my hot take for the podcast, the Ravens are a defensive team, and I love it. The Ravens' defense <laughs> came to play. I mean, Calais Campbell, three sacks. Uh, the third one came in the second half, but he absolutely bodied the right guard, threw him into next week to, to get rid of Wentz. I mean, Wentz is the king of holding on to the ball too long, which definitely helped. <laughs> but the pass rush looked good. They were stopping the running game. I mean, if you look at the the drives for the Philadelphia Eagles in the first half, it's punt, it was... punt, punt, fumble, <laughs> punt, punt, downs, missed field goal to end it. I mean, it was, it was a near-perfect game from the defense. Now, we'll talk about it. There were some mistakes. Um, the 17-0 definitely was not really a reflection of how the game was going. The Eagles dropped some really potential touchdowns, at least a couple of them in the first half. Um, But outside of that, in terms of just defensively, I was very, very impressed to start off this game. Yeah, it's the same. I I thought this, they really just carried the momentum from what they were doing against Cincinnati last week. Uh, And you said it, Tim. I mean, and those first six possessions, it wasn't just punts. It was five straight three and outs and one fumble. Like they were doing nothing. The Eagles uh, did not gain a first down in this game until there was 532 left in the second quarter. That was when they got the ball. They finally got a first down <laughs> on that possession. 532. Like you really can't script a better start by the defense. I mean, it's exactly what you want to see uh, week in and week out. And I think how good they started was what led to me being so frustrated about how they finished this game, but we'll get into that uh, more in a moment, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, Tim talked about the issue, the underlying issues of a game that seems like the Ravens team was just going to run away with this, was that the Eagles should have 
probably had 14 points, if not 17 points, in that first half. You talk about the three and outs. Well, I mean, one of the just full-out drop uh, was on the Wentz deep ball in the first quarter, where, in my opinion, if the ball's caught, Jimmy Smith is not a burner. Jimmy Smith is not going to catch that guy down the sideline. I don't remember which receiver it was. Um, Whoever it was, Uh, they were going to outrun Jimmy Smith. Don't know his first name. His last name was Hightower. (laughs) Yeah, well, Hightower is going to outrun Jimmy Smith there, but... Didn't, you know, couldn't bring the catch in and then went through this like floater, I think to Miles Sanders, who had run like a like a wheel route out of the backfield and he got sort of turned around, but just hit him squarely in the hands. <laughs> they they missed out on a, the Eagles missed a fourth and one where they snuck Wentz, uh, but didn't do the right QB sneak where you're supposed to sort of wait half a second and see where you're actually supposed to go. Wentz did the Joe Flacco QB sneak where you just get it and just dive, and you run into the defensive line because you haven't actually tried to figure out where the best angle is. And then they also miss what is really a makeable field goal. I think it was 50 yards, 52 yards, but makeable. I mean, that's a Justin Tucker in his sleep field goal. And but all that's sudden, the difference there. Right, right. they that's don't the have difference. Justin Tucker. And you're posting a shutout at halftime. Then in the second half, sort of uh, plays start to get made, I guess, by the Eagles or the Ravens make even more mistakes defensively with the tackling and penalties. I'm going to turn to you now on, uh, unless you want to talk about the offense in the first half, either Lamar, how Lamar looked in the first half and, and offensively how they were able to, to put up some points and have some long drives and, and convert third downs. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about the offense a little bit uh, before Jason and I just start screaming at the top of our lungs about the things <laughs> that were infuriating about this game because that's what this is going to come to at some point. Just, Just – anticipating this to take you behind the curtain, the magic of podcasting. We do record this on a Monday on most times. So it's been a full 24 hours since the game ended and I am still furious and the Ravens won. So it's going to be one of those. But before we get to any of that lovely stuff, a couple of notes from the offense. I thought Lamar was okay. Um, I think there were some ducks, not the ones that were tipped at the line of scrimmage, but ones that just kind of fell out of his hand. There was one or two of those that seemed very weird. Um, I think the overall notion that we're going to have to get to is that this offense is just not what they were last year, and we're going to have to accept that. Um, In terms of running the ball, I mean, John Harbaugh said in his press conference on Monday, when asked about Marshall Yonda, he said, quote, Marshall played at a Hall of Fame level for years. He never played better than he did last year. Said there were times, this comes from Jeff Zarebeck on Twitter, he also mentioned, Harbaugh did, that there were times last year where Yonda blocked two guys in the run game. So, yeah, they're missing a <laughs> Hall of Fame right guard, and it's, it's clearly showing. Uh, but one guy I want to point out, and Jace, I'll let you take it from here in terms of the offense. Um, I'm becoming a massive fan of Devin DuVarnay, even more so than I was before. He's becoming sort of a gadget guy for the Ravens, but also made some big plays. He finished with three catches for 30-some yards, 32 yards, uh, um, 31 yards, excuse me. And I like his just turn and burn speed that is something that they can use and implement into this offense that you hope with the bye week coming up maybe as we get later and later into the season he becomes a bigger part because uh jace we can talk about it they clearly need some more weapons well that's yeah uh, uh i believe it was uh jeff Zarebeck reported that he uh, was duvernay's career high for uh total snaps on offense uh and he continues to, he's second in the league in kickoff returns. So he's been obviously a great addition. I agree getting him the uh, the ball more. I'm with you on Lamar. I thought, as weird as it is to say, I actually thought he was 
pretty good, all things considered. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yesterday, like, for all we're going to complain about the offense momentarily, I didn't really think he was all that bad. He did have a few uh, early knockdowns, which... Uh, on passes two consecutive plays early and I seemed to I don't know if it got in his head a little bit but he seemed to start changing his arm angle he really turfed one um, one ball just horrendously for, to a wide open Mark Andrews uh, that was really bad but on the whole I thought Lamar was good uh, to your point on the weapons and this is what confuses me kind of with the offensive approach the Ravens are employing these days we talked last week about how in the passing game, they were only really targeting Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. And, you know, they stalled out at times because the Bengals were keying on those guys. So their answer this week appeared to be, let's not throw those two guys the ball at all, because they had zero catches at halftime uh, of this game. And that just really confuses me uh, as an offensive approach. We're not the Kansas City Chiefs. This team, you want balance, sure. You want the ball in guys like Devin, Devin DuVernay's hands, get them more involved. But that can't come at the expense of your two best playmakers. If this offense is going to have success, you have to get Mark Andrews the ball, you have to get Marquise Brown the ball, and you have to find a healthy mix of getting the ball to your Devin DuVernay's, your Willie Sneeds. And I don't know why, where the, the disconnect in that happening is, if that's a Lamar thing, if that's a Greg Roman thing, call on the schemes. But it was very frustrating. It was something I really noticed in the first half of this game uh, that I thought kind of detracted from an otherwise, I thought, pretty solid first quarter. I, there was issues, of, or first half, there were obviously issues. But when you hit halftime with a 17 nothing lead, it's hard to be too upset. But uh, that was the real thing that really stood out to me was just I'm, I'm confused what they're doing in terms of getting the ball to these guys. Well, you would like to think that they realize, too, we have a 17 nothing lead, but this game's way closer. And clearly they didn't, and we'll get into that later. But your point on the weapons, I think, is interesting. Because, yeah, I believe neither Brown nor Andrews even had a catch until the second half. Maybe Brown had one or two. Um, but first, in a big game, I'm starting to think I might trust Nick Boyle more than Mark Andrews in terms of catching the ball. <laughs> Guy's got some hands. Did not realize that from the blocking tight end. So another positive there. The other thing I'll say, too, and again, we talked about this weeks and weeks ago, and we keep talking about the passing game. So I just want to – I still believe that this team is built around running the football, and I still think they need to do that, and they need to do that well. And you look at the numbers, and I guess this is kind of where we start to complain. You look at the numbers. Oh, they rushed for 182 yards. That's great. 108 of that came from their quarterback, and a lot of that came on a very, very long touchdown run which was great, but J.K. Dobbins had finally got some more touches. He only had 28 carries. Mark Ingram, who had an, an excuse me, who had an ankle sprain, it looks like he's going to be out, or he will be available because there's a bye week. They're hoping that he gets to play versus Pittsburgh in two weeks. And then Gus Edwards, who we all love because he never falls backwards. It's, we've, always, we've talked about our love for the Gus bus. He had 133 carries last year, and only five of them went for negative yards. On Sunday, he had 14 carries, and four of them went for negative yards. The offensive line got eaten up by this Eagles front line. And guess who's coming in two weeks? It's a defense that is significantly better than the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I am worried about this running game because it is the foundation of this offense. And you talk about spreading the ball around, and that's great. But because these guys aren't super dynamic weapons, it's not the Chiefs who are just pulling out receivers out of every orifice, it seems, at this point. 
you have to establish the run game to be able to free those guys up. And if you can't, it's going to be a real problem for Baltimore going down the stretch. Yeah, Jace, the point you made, about, I would love to think that the Ravens decided not to throw the ball to Mark Andrews and Hollywood this week to get it to their other weapons, as opposed to maybe the Eagles were paying a lot of attention to those guys, so the Ravens had to look elsewhere. But that's a good, almost a good problem to have when you can turn to guys like Devin DuVernay, who's looking better and better, and J.K. Dobbins, who Jace predicted this at about 110 uh local time when the game started on Monday or on Sunday that of course the game that J.K. Dobbins gets a bunch of carries he's going to have the worst (laughs) game of his career and that's kind of what happened with nine carries and 28 yards but the weapons to me is not as big of an issue as we've talked I mean the offensive line is a problem because you can't really patch that up at this point in time I would love for them to just grab somebody off the street and, and that player be better than what they have but the interior of the offensive line is a problem, and we've seen that. You can see it when they get beat on plays, you can see it when there's no running game, and you can see it when they commit penalties, which, boy oh boy, I'll let my co-host talk about that uh, as we get into the second half of this game, but the last sort of part of this is that I think the Ravens are still figuring out how to use all of these different players, and that's going to have to be the patchwork. If you cannot fix the offensive line from this week to the next week, you have got to sort out how to use all these different weapons that you have. We were so excited in the offseason about these running. They were going to have four, a four running back stable that was going to be unstoppable. And they haven't quite, I mean, they've, every week there have been different numbers for who, who's gotten carries, who's gotten touches, and, and what it's looked like. But I think the bye week came at a perfect time. I, I don't know. Got like I, Maybe these linemen are banged up. Maybe there's just not a lot of chemistry between Tyree Phillips and, and some of the other guys next to him because he's a rookie. But there's some issues here that, that we need to resolve. And then Lamar Jackson, the, the last point I'm going to make here is, Jays, I'm concerned about the arm angle stuff because that is an issue that we saw in little spurts last season. And we're seeing it more and more and for longer periods of time where in the offseason, the whole offseason, the whole plan was supposed to be he's working on his mechanics, he's working on being able to make those out throws, and then when something breaks down, he sort of gives up on that, and he just starts throwing everything sidearm, he falls back into his comfort level, and that led to some, like, ugly incompletions in this game, and I I don't know, like, I want to talk to Lamar, I I know better than he and his coaches, so I want to force him... (laughs) to like not give up on whatever he worked on in the offseason by the second quarter of these games. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the stuff that I saw. But I want to turn now to you guys when we got into the second half of this game because it's still a 17 to nothing game. Things are looking great. The Ravens got the ball to start the second half. At a certain point, they're up, uh, I believe, 24-6. to six. So still in control of this game, but then the wheels fell off so I'm going to turn to you guys and I may have to like turn my mic down because I've sort of been prepared <laughs> for the wrath from my co-host but as, as Tim noted 24 hours is a very good very important length of time that we have to wait until we talk about talk about these games but I'm going to turn to you guys now and uh, the mistakes on both sides of the ball that let Philadelphia back into this game yeah and I won't try and do everything at once because Jace I want to let you have some blood and thunder as well but you say that with the 24 hours, right? Usually I get to calm down a little bit, maybe take the the positive angle. Here's the positive angle for you. Well, they still won and they had a lot to learn, so maybe they think it's a wake-up call. 
I don't care about any of that because that second half was a complete and utter embarrassment. The Ravens had 12 total penalties, nine of them on the offensive side of the football, and most of them being holdings or illegal formations. They get paid millions and millions of dollars to line up correctly, and they couldn't figure that out. There's no fans. You don't, there was, what, like 10% capacity at the Eagles Stadium. It's not like they're making a big raucous noise. They're already bummed out. Their team's losing 24-6, to 6, and yet you continue with these stupid penalties. Just taking. There was a first and 35 at one point because the guys couldn't figure out how to freaking block. I mean, it First was, and 35. When you're up 17, it's inexplicable. Inexplicable and inexcusable. It was absolutely ridiculous to... Have this lead, this lead that you know is not as big as it sh- or it's bigger than it should be, excuse me. And instead of putting your foot on their throat, which is what they did last year, to just bury these teams and end this game in the third quarter, give Lamar time to sit there and be the funny gift now with the sunglasses on at the Bengals game that everybody's going to look at. No, you're fighting for your life till the end of it because you don't care anymore. I, I, Harbaugh can come out and say all he wants about, oh, the effort's been A+, plus, the execution's just been bad. They both matter! Both parts of the game plan matter, and the, the, the execution, the entire game, and especially in the second half, was atrocious. I, we can get to other stuff. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit. I'm going to steal one more thing from you, Jace. That Wentz run in the second half, that oh he goes God. for about 50, 40 or 50 <laughs> yards or whatever it is, it's like people were running away from him. It was the A.J. Green gift in last week's game when the interception, and A.J. Green literally <laughs> runs to the tunnel instead of trying to tackle uh, whoever had the pick. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Peters. Nobody wanted to hit him. What was, was going insane. on? He's just running in the open field. There's, like, defenders around him, and everybody just kind of chills out. Patrick Queen does a little, like, shoulder tap to a quarterback who's, like, 230, 240 or something. The big guy, however yeah. big he is. They mentioned Quarterback who's time. bigger than him. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing. And they did this whole thing. Marlon Humphrey went on IG Live afterwards. He's like, I know it was sloppy, but a win's a win's a win. It's not. A win is not a win in this situation. That was an embarrassing, embarrassing performance. And guess what? They're going to get smoked by, I'll say it, the Patriots, even how bad they looked this week. They're going to get smoked by Indy. They'll get smoked by the Steelers twice. They might even get kicked. I'm I'm trying not to cuss because it's the family show. (laughs) They might even get beat by the Browns if they play like they did in that second half, which is saying something. I mean, it was just... It was embarrassing and frustrating, and it's still making my blood boil just thinking about it now. I'm exactly with you, Tim, because I rewatched this game on the condensed games on NFL Game Pass last night, and I was like, I'll put my, you know, analyst cap on and I'll be more measured. But no, it just made me more mad (laughs) on the second half as well. It was an infuriating... The, the the Wentz run, I think you nailed it. It just encapsulates what happened that second half. I, that was the most I yelled aloud to myself in my room here. It was, I believe, I used some strong language in our text message thread. It was just, it, no one wanted to tackle him. And it's just like, for me, it just circles back. That play kind of encapsulates this game, but it circles back to there wasn't the finish. There wasn't the, you know putting the nail in the coffin on this game. They let an Eagles team that isn't that good, that is literally starting, they have their starting center and no other starting offensive linemen from before this season. Just hang around. They're throwing to Travis Fulgham and a guy, Jordan Crooms. Uh, There's a guy, literally no one knew his name. This is a very 
banged up Eagles team, a not very good Eagles team. And for whatever reason, they just didn't get the kill shot. And that's what was frustrating. And it it was, you know, some sloppy penalties. I don't, I disagree with the Marcus Peters, uh, you know, pass PI. That was a very bad call. Jace, I'm stealing your thunder because maybe for the second time ever on the show, what's bothering Tim? Stop (laughs) rewarding bad quarterback play. It makes no sense. That ball was thrown maybe five to seven yards short. And the guy had to turn around on Peters, who had great coverage, was sitting just behind him. And he had to turn around and run through Marcus Peters for the penalty. And these refs are too stupid to use any sort of critical thinking. They're like, oh, defender hit offense player. Here, flag. It makes no sense. When the, when the ball is short, that should be, it could be completely fine. Even Gene Steratore who's one of the thickest referees I've ever seen, <laughs> was on the commentary and said, oh, no, that's just hand fighting. That definitely shouldn't be a penalty. Stop rewarding these quarterbacks for being terrible. Wentz, the entire second half, just sat there on his back foot throwing lob passes that miraculously kept getting completed. But that was one that shouldn't, and it should have been, it should have been penalized because what do you want Marcus Peters to do? Just say, ole, you go catch the ball, and <laughs> maybe I just won't do my job. It makes no sense whatsoever not going to blame the referees obviously the mistakes on the Ravens end were were ridiculous but that penalty in particular made my blood boil just so bad I think my yeah favorite, I thought th- I, my favorite part of that play just sort of like pretend, taking off my Ravens fan cap was that Peters was 100% looking at the Jumbotron as he ran downfield. I don't know if you guys caught the replay of that. He's absolutely <laughs> no, looking that. at the Jumbotron to see if the ball is going to get thrown to the guy he's guarding. And then it's, <laughs> it's such a bad throw that takes so long to get there that he sees it and has time to turn around and get into position to make a play on the ball and essentially just sit there and wait for it. So, Tim, I agree with you in terms of rewarding bad play. It was a terrible throw. They're both doing the same exact thing to each other while looking up at the ball. You cannot call a penalty on one of them. But, Jace, I'm going to turn back to you if you want to continue your point. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was horrible, too. But I think one issue with Peters is he he could just get it so in either his own head or concerned with other people's heads that, like, something like that like, is going to completely take him out of the game. And, he, you know, he's been <laughs> dealing with injuries and stuff. But I didn't think he was particularly good. But... The other two penalties that really bugged me, and the Campbell one, a little more iffy, I'd say. It was a little more on the edge. But the Jihad Ward on third down, Wentz throws just an uncatchable ball through the back of the end zone. And he just goes straight in, like, helmet to helmet, drive down on the QB. Like, the exact kind of hit, like, several seconds late in real... Like, I don't even think Jihad Ward was the closest Raven to him. He and got he was there the one who ended up after Matabuki. <laughs> And Matabuki pulled up and is just staring at Jahad Ward. Like, what are you doing? So, and that's on third down. That would have forced a fourth down. Just, and this is both sides of the ball, too. The attention to detail. Pernell McPhee, they should have gone up 20 to nothing at least because he just drops the most, like, easy interception in the history of interceptions. I know he's a defensive lineman. He's not getting used to getting the ball a ton. But once, we said, once was just throwing it up and, like, I don't know. He didn't have two. I don't know how many other options he has. Again, this is a very not talent rich team surrounding him, but they just like the Ravens basically didn't make the plays that were there. Deshaun Elliott has an interception right somehow right in his bread basket that then goes right onto the ground that would have sealed the game at 30 to 14. 
it was just really frustrating to not watch this defense close. And because for all its faults, and we'll, I, we can honestly get back into the offense probably if we want, because the penalties were insane. And I think I'll go back to just the offensive line. But at the end of the day, the offense gave the team a 30 to 14 lead with just over seven minutes to go. You, you give a, a defense number one in the league in points against entering this game. You give them a 16 point lead with seven minutes to go. That's got to be game over. And, you know, I guess eventually it was. They did prevent the two-point conversion. Uh, but you get, someone has to step up and make a play. And it's, a, I think, an issue we've seen with this team on defense, especially in big games the last few years, is in the biggest games, the, who makes the play? And it seems like the answer is no one, really, until it can be too late sometimes. And basically, the only reason they lucked out in this game is the Eagles are horrible. They're a horrible team with very low on talent. And that's what really saved this this team in this game yeah Yeah, really so it's 12 penalties for 132 yards nine of them on the offense and Antonio I'll let you take it from here because you were the one who made the point of Wentz was just throwing lob passes off his back foot like they weren't even that great and the defense just wasn't making the plays I I think some of this falls on the offense and I'll talk about that in a second but what was going on? Like, I'm th- I turn it to you. The, the second half, they had 94 yards. The Eagles offense had 94 yards in the first half. In the second half, they had three plays of 40 or more yards. And most of them, one was the Wentz run, and a couple of them were just bombs that were bad passes, and the Ravens just didn't make plays on them. It was infuriating. Tim and Jace, I'm going to take you back to a time when the Ravens had a center oh, fielder by the name of Ed Reed. Uh, and I, I know, I know you I remember, it. you remember him well, uh, a hall of famer, if you will. I have a picture of him hanging on my wall right here. I'm looking at it. Right he, now. <laughs> I was going to make a joke that maybe isn't the best one, but Ed Reed would be rolling over in his grave, even though he's still very much with us. Cause he only retired a few years ago from, from the NFL. But in that era of Ed Reed being the center fielder for the Ravens, if there was ever a throw that just sort of hung up in the air for too long, when you saw the ball going across the screen and you can't see where it's going yet on the, you know, from a uh, TV broadcast, half the time you would just on the back of the head go, Ed Reed's probably going to intercept this because that ball is hanging up way too long. You don't have to intercept it, though. Here's the cool thing about football is you can just knock it down, and then that's considered a good play for your defense. And yet Carson Wentz had six of these type throws. Some of them were even in the first half that he was able to. He completed one pass on the sideline that, granted, Humphrey had good coverage on, but it was just this like little floating throw that got completed for a first down. And then in the second half, they got just more and more egregious. You had Peters and Humphrey on one of the throws that was a lob that Humphrey had enough time to leave his man and go over to where the ball was being thrown because that's how long it took to get there. He just falls over. He just runs right on by and rolls over. And then Peter's, Jace, I think you're 100% right that he gets in in his own head so easily. He like half played it and then was just annoyed and thought he had gotten pushed off, but he didn't really... And then there were still other examples of that over and over and over again where you just look at the ball, play the ball, knock down the ball. And this game would have had such a different outcome. (laughs) If I were an Eagles fan, Wentz would be driving me crazy because, like, these kind of throws are not the way to win games and he proved successful at them. 
it's very frustrating. I'm just going to pretend that with a bye week, they can study the film of <laughs> just play the ball and knock it down and, and don't worry about anything else. But the last thing defensively I want to say, and then Tim, I'll let you talk about the offense again, is uh, my, I have one note about the, the two-point conversions, of which the Eagles <laughs> tried four different attempts. The first one, they ran sort of like an option mesh run with Jalen Hurts to the right side, and it got absolutely blown up, and they didn't succeed. The Eagles' next two two-point attempts were both passes that found very open receivers uh, for successful conversions. And then the fourth one, the one they absolutely needed to tie the game, what did they do? They just flipped the first two-point <laughs> conversion that was an absolute disaster and changed the quarterback. Instead of Hurts, they had Wentz run this option to the left side, and it got absolutely blown up in the exact same manner as the first one did. So, I mean, I, Philly, you played yourself, I guess. Like, I don't know why you don't throw the ball again there, but it almost seemed like they'd run out of two-point plays, and so they just went back to the first one that they had and flipped it, and it was a disaster. So, good job, Ravens, of snuffing that play out twice, and that's my end of the rant, <laughs> my personal rant on, on the defensive side of this. Well, it's really funny, too, on that option play. For, for people that might not know, and you probably do because you've watched Lamar run it for a good year and a half at this point, but that option play is all about reading a defensive end. And if he goes towards, in the simplest of terms, obviously, if he goes towards the running back, you keep the ball and take it yourself. If he goes towards you, you give it to the running back and let him move. The problem is the Ravens like to blitz. Wink Martindale doesn't adjust, just sends the house. And I to end this to end this segment on this game i do want to ask about some of the things that are still concerning us and guess what one of them is still the pass rush even though it's looked good in the last two weeks all that being said they had like four blitzers on that one side and wentz doesn't audible out of it and still tries to run the play and as soon as as soon as he (laughs) runs it judon and lj fort who you leave unblocked like that's the point of the option are just sitting in the backfield like all right which one are you going to take it we're just going to tackle both anyway I want to talk about the offense a little bit and then kind of throw throw this back to you guys. I think the other problem, and it centers around the running game, uh, primarily, I would say, and the offensive line really struggling, um, and, and just the stupid penalties and all the ridiculous beat-yourself penalties, is that the Ravens, for six games now, have not really shown that they can establish long drives. They did not have one drive over ten plays in this game. The second half, when we mentioned they're up big, they go nine plays for 35 yards and a punt to open it, which is where if they score a touchdown, it's 24 nothing and maybe really, really over. Then they have a five-play, 63-yard drive for a touchdown and make it 24-6, take advantage of a short field. Then three plays, negative two yards, punt. Eagles get another touchdown. It's a 10-point game. Seven plays, only 38 yards, and get a field goal, make it 27-14. Then another four-play, two-yard drive to make it 30-14. to 14. Eagles score again. It's 30-22. to 22. They're with one score, excuse me, to tie this game with a two-point conversion. The Ravens go three plays, one yard, and punt. What It's, it's Yonda not being there. It's the execution. It's all of this stuff. But that, to me, is one of the most concerning things about a team that we talk about is so good about getting out to a lead and holding on to that lead because they can hold on to the football, they have not been able to do it this year. So, gentlemen, I turn it to you. We talk about a number of things. We talk about the penalties, right? We talk about the lack of execution and 
we'll say turning your brain off in the second half. We'll just lump in the offensive line running game, you know, time of possession stuff all into one big thing and the pass rush. Out of all those things, and feel free to bring other stuff to the table, coming into the bye week, what concerns you the most about this Ravens football team? Or or if you had to rank a couple of the things that concern you the most, what would they be and why? For, for me, it's got to be the offensive line, number one, I think. Because I think, you kind of said, I think every problem this team has on offense, I think, can be traced back to there. We saw yesterday the penalties were insane. I mean, nine offensive penalties, that's just unacceptable. And they were almost all on the linemen. It wasn't like the receivers were picking up blocks in the back or crackbacks. It was offensive linemen and tight ends not lining up correctly. And... Ronnie Stanley got flagged four different times. I think two of them were accepted, but uh, so it's not even like, you know, just the interior guys who are rotating and like uh, all four of everyone, but Matt Skura got a penalty yesterday, uh, including Patrick McCarry who came in <laughs> to replace. So there were five different offensive linemen with penalties, including, and then Boyle got a illegal formation. Andrews had a false start. Um, So for me, I think that's number one, because I think they're getting almost nothing on first and second down uh, in the run game when Lamar's not running the ball. And I think that's putting a lot of pressure on him. I think he obviously showed this week, he whatever was last week, that probably was just the game plan because obviously Lamar was running great. His touchdown was awesome yesterday at 108 yards. Um, But outside of him, they just like aren't getting anything. And that puts them behind schedule that makes forces them into these long, you know, third downs. And I think we saw early in Sunday's game, they were converting these third downs. Uh, they were three for three. Uh, Lamar was on the first, their first drive, their first touchdown drive. Um, but then, you know, he can stall out. And when it's all on him, and that puts a lot more pressure on him. And it st- does stall out. And that's, I think, what we saw in the second half. Especially, you said, 37 seconds between with the ball between the Eagles touchdowns. That's just unacceptable. Uh, And it's, it all comes back to, I think their inability to run on first down and, and the penalties obviously hampered that a lot. We mentioned they faced first and 35 at one point that completely knocked off a potential scoring drive. Um, And Lamar's obviously been under pressure a lot. So I think it's gotta be the, the line. I think, I think all the problems start there with the offense. And if that gets under control, I think the whole team kind of starts to lock in line, even the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Cause they'll have the leads. They'll be able to blitz more. They'll have win the time of possession battle and such. So for me, offensive line, number one, I look, I don't disagree. I'm going to hit you with a little double negative there. Uh, I don't disagree, <laughs> but just for argument's sake, there's like a, uh, there's a basketball term called, that player is a walking bucket where like you just know that guy's giving you 20 points per game. This Ravens team is a, is essentially a walking 27 points on offense per game. They, they've averaged 30 points a game this season with all the struggles that they have had. <laughs> and yes, they have played some inferior opponents. So I don't necessarily think they're going to lose games because of the situation they're in, because they're still scoring points. They're still going to be there. Lamar's still going to make plays happen. Had another humdrum 37-yard touchdown run yesterday or Sunday that was absolutely awesome. <laughs> but the, what I think is going to lose them games as they play better quarterbacks is the pass rush 
being bad, and I stand by the fact that it's bad, even though it's looked better, because they played absolutely terrible offensive lines, and they almost should have done even better than they did, considering how bad those offensive lines were. Charles Davis, the uh, one of the commentators for that game, made a joke that Calais Campbell was pro- was asking to be placed on the side of the Eagles' worst offensive lineman, and that's why he kept getting sacks, because <laughs> he kept placing himself in strategic spots to beat inferior opposition. And I kind of think that's exactly what's happening to this front four. And I, I, I think as we get into games where the teams are better, where the quarterbacks are better, where the quarterbacks are Ben Roethlisberger, and if you don't absolutely swallow him up on every play, eventually he's going to carve you apart, carve you open, I should say. So I'm more concerned just about, you talk about closing games offensively, as closing games defensively with this front four when we score points, but it's still 27-27, you know, 20, 30 to 28, and the pass rush is just not going to be able to to sort of end games and change the games and leave this secondary exposed. Yeah, I agree with both of those points. Um, I think those are the key stats. Jace, just to throw the offensive line in there in general, the time of possession stuff and being able to hold on to the football is what makes this team so good, and a lot of that starts with the offensive line just mauling their dudes up front um i think some of that too on the offense i think the execution stuff the laziness even on the defense side of football overall the execution has not been to the level that it was last year albeit last year you know a record-breaking year in terms of the ravens but you know they talked about the miles boykin again had a weird just wasn't in sync with lamar and harbaugh came out in his press conference on monday saying the same thing of that's on Boykin. Our execution has to be better. Lamar's calling the plays. He has to get that right. And we've seen problems like that, you know, throughout. So to, to lump in with the offensive line because you'd nail it, that's the start. But the, the bigger problems that branch off of that are the execution and the time of possession, which all – this is why this, this is why we love this game. All this stuff kind of blends together. Um, and if it all is working well – if one thing's working well, it's going to help the other thing work well. Um you nail it on the pass rush, Antonio. Just real quickly, in terms of sacks per game, the Ravens had six sacks against Philly. Uh, Calais Campbell, who I don't think we've praised enough. I love that man. We were talking He's so good. Brandon Williams, <laughs> Brandon Williams, and uh, uh, Derek Wolf. Excuse me, were out, and we're like, Calais has to have a big game, and he did. And he uh, number sixty six, the right guard, is the guy you're talking about, where he was lining up on that guy and eating his lunch. Um, again, his third sack. He basically gives the guy a forearm to the shoulder pad and sends him into week eight. It was incredible, um, and I could watch it over and over again. But that offensive line is bad. Philly gives up the most sacks per game with 4.2. Uh, they're ranked 32nd in the league, and Cincinnati is tied for second worst with four, uh, four sacks per game. The other team that's in there with the, the three worst, the Washington football team, also four sacks per game. The Steelers offensive this line This hurts, Tim. This, this hurts. And, and after that, I mean, it's 4-4 four, four, and 4.2. Then it dips at 29th ranked is Houston at 3.2. So it's significantly <laughs> less per game. Who the Ravens Those also the, played. <laughs> right, who the Ravens also played. Uh, Pittsburgh, who was the next opponent in a couple weeks, obviously will do more on that game uh, on next week's pod like a Raven. We're not going away even though the Ravens are on a bye. They give up 1.6 sacks per game. So it's a whole different kettle of fish when you're going up against that. Um, I, I will just say... Because you guys both nail those points. Those are the two for me that are the most egregious and the things that need to be worked on the most. Um, 
I'm weirdly as as furious as I am and was earlier in the show about the penalties. I'm almost not as concerned about that stuff because that is stereotypically something that Harbaugh will get fixed and worked out. So, and, and that was we should say it was a kind of a weird one off for like it was an anomaly the, for sure. Yes, the 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 run, the run issues have been a thing all season, but Sunday's game in particular, the run issues were really compounded by just setting themselves up, you know, first and 20, you're almost never converting that in the NFL. It's too good. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think that is a fixable thing. But it was very strange, and I don't know if it just stems from the fact that the chemistry isn't there as much or what have you. Last note as we close this. Well, first of all, two notes, two notes. One thing I'm going to repeat that Tim said at the start of this section, but I'm going to say it again because this show is therapy sometimes. The Ravens are 5-1. and one. They've only done that twice in their franchise history. They won the Super Bowl both times. So, you know, things could be worse for us as fans. They could be better, but things could be worse, and there's certainly things for the Ravens to work on. And then the second point is, what a sort of well-lucky, fortunate situation that this bye week was moved to before the Steelers game as opposed to after the Steelers game. Because, boy, do they need it before they play this Pittsburgh team in two weeks. And I'm, like, this is the challenge for them now. They have two weeks to get things right if they want to be a Super Bowl team. Like, this is the fun part of it. You don't just want to beat up on bad teams and then be an average team, whatever. Like, prove it against these big games, and I am very, very excited to be playing the Steelers in two weeks to sort of test out what they were able to do over the bye week. I've been very negative. So before we get off the Eagles game here, because obviously... We went heavy. There was a lot of stuff to talk about. There's not a game to preview. So we're going to – we hope this is a therapy session for you as well because me screaming into this microphone has already made me calmer. I'll have you believe. <laughs> I just want to touch on one – we've talked about this earlier in the year when Lamar had the run against Washington. We were kind of just like, yeah, it was great, but I'm almost used to it. Kind of the same thing with this one. It's the fastest he's ever been. I, I think he reached like 21 miles an hour or something like that which is just insane for a human being in football pads, but he continues (laughs) to do remarkable things. And then we've talked about the offense. We talked about the defense. I want to talk about the special teams for a little bit. Jace did mention Devin DuVarnay, but Sam Cook continually underappreciated. He is now the uh, all-time leader in regular season games played for the Ravens. So congratulations to him. Also the most efficient passer of all time, minimum seven attempts, seven (laughs) for seven. And I think even in Baltimore, where he is loved and revered and worshipped, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> I think Justin Tucker, even in Baltimore, is still criminally underappreciated. How that guy... It was funny. I was watching the game with uh, my parents' neighbor, and we both said the same thing. He hits the ball, and as soon as it comes off his foot, you're just going, nine iron, chip shot. It's like... It's from 55, and the guy looks like he's hitting it towards the moon, and it's splitting the uprights almost every single time. I can't even imagine what these other teams are going through. The double doink or Harrison Butker, who, as we record this, already missed a field goal in the Chiefs-Bills game. Um, And I could continue to crap on that guy for as long as I live. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, Gustowski, who has rebounded but had a horrible week one. I don't know how franchises go through it where – they're lined up for a field goal and they don't know if we're going to get the three points because with Tucker, man, it's he's automatic yeah. tuck for a reason. 
It's it really is underrated. You mentioned other franchises. Just one, for example, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars have had five different people kick field goals this year, uh, including a guy yesterday who made a professional a kick for the first time ever. Had never made a field goal at any level of football. Never attempted um, one. Never attempted <laughs> yeah. one. He was a college soccer player, I believe, for Kentucky, who got into kicking like and made a practice squad. I don't know how they're on so many different kickers, but uh, yeah. Justin Tucker, he's the he's the greatest of all time, literally by statistics. Uh, and he drilled that fifty-five yarder. Like that would have been good from at least sixty. He that was clearing high up. He's the man. So I completely agree with you. I, we can never sing his praises enough. It's a good reminder that he he's the best kicker. You no, know, this franchise had Matt Stover, but Tucker's the best kicker the Ravens have ever had and probably ever will have. He's awesome. We might have a Hall of Famer in the kicking. One more thing, because I know we got to get off this game, but. We should mention this because when they, when they talked about this stat during the game, it blew my mind. And I'm glad Jace brought it up in our, in our doc that we, that we prepared here before the show. Baltimore scored 30 points for the 29th consecutive regular season game. It was, excuse me, it was the 29th consecutive game where the Ravens have at least scored 20 points. Growing up, born in 92, <laughs> the team comes in 96 and watching them from 96 to now. I would have never thought that that would be possible. The only other team, the only other uh, team to have more games is the Peyton Manning Broncos from 2012 to 2014, and they did it for 30 games. The Ravens are one game away from eclipsing that. Um, 20 points, at least 20 points in 29 straight regular season games is it's unfathomable to me. So I just thought we should shout that one out as well. Yeah, yeah. For the franchise that famously. Uh didn't score a touchdown for five straight weeks in a year they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to process uh, for sure. So I I'm completely there with you. And I think Antonio mentioned for all I think the hyper criticisms we can have of this team at times. Uh, I think it's because what they did last year is was so incredible and speaks to the level of team they can be. They're not there obviously this year. I don't know if they will get there, given, you know, some of the things we mentioned, the line changes, etc. But the Ravens are still in a good place. The franchise, the team's 5-1, and one. <laughs> you know, for all our griping on here, 5-1, and one, uh, you know, that's really good. They're going to make the playoffs, like, just based on their schedule. Uh, so they're, it's, a, it's a good, it's an okay place to be. There, there's clearly frustrations, and I was very annoyed even more so than usual watching Sunday's game. But uh, all told, uh, there's room to improve. The team knows they can improve. And uh, it's better to know you can improve and still have a 5-1 and one record than, you know, be sitting at 2-3 and three, or in the case of a team like the Minnesota Vikings that you thought might make the playoffs like 1-5. and five. So it's not, the sky is not totally falling. It's just uh, a little cloudy outside, I guess. <laughs> Jace currently on the couch cradling a football saying it's okay we're gonna be okay the ravens are okay. <laughs> it's gonna be fine <laughs> all right let's move away from this game now and uh sort of quickly go through the random raven before we turn to our nfl recap i'm up this week so i'm gonna give you guys a few clues i i'm into this into this pick uh it's not sort of the most random of guys so i, I didn't give a ton of information but there also wasn't a lot of information to really, really share about this guy. So we start getting, to, getting into his, like, alma mater, his number, his favorite color, because that was sort of the last stuff I had to, had to get. But let's go through it here. 
this random raven played for the team for four seasons, which is better than my usual picks already. (laughs) From 2006 to 2009. Over his Ravens career, he had 63 catches for 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. He only started four games over those four seasons, and they all came in 2007. His best game, I guess, and I put I guess in my notes, was in 2006 against the Cleveland Browns, of course, where he caught two passes for 100 yards, including a (laughs) 77-yard touchdown catch from none other than Kyle Bowler. (laughs) There's a sentence for you. Wow. (laughs) Oh, boy. This tall wide receiver, nicknamed Spider-Man, I didn't know this until I looked it up, never fulfilled his potential as a field stretcher and end zone target. He ended up playing sparingly in his last season with the Cleveland Browns, but did not record a catch in 2010. He was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round out of Oregon, and he wore the number 87. Yes. So those last few, the, the little, and his favorite color is purple, of course. So that's why that's a hundred percent an accurate fact. Quack. Uh, all right. So that's uh, that's the random Raven for this week. Tim's confident. <laughs> Jace is looking like Gardner Minshew after a third down blitz that he didn't quite read who the Mike <laughs> linebacker was. So yeah, yeah, I had it. I I had one guy, and then you said wide receiver, and I was like, it might be this guy. And then I will say the alma mater is what gave it away. I feel like I keep just thinking of guys we've already done is what I think the issue on that thing is. <laughs> but I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll kick the tires, but I currently don't have much, I'll be honest. Let's turn now then to our NFL segment. Uh, if you're a big football fan, if you're a big football gambling fan... This week was confusing, uh, and we're going to get into a few games, but I guess we should start with the AFC North, and there was an interdivision matchup between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers that lasted about five minutes before it became a blowout, <laughs> and the Steelers ended up winning that 38-7. to We had a Case Keenum appearance for Cleveland, and it's sort of unclear if Mayfield was injured or if he was done with being there or if the coaching staff was done with him being there because he did not have a very good game. Guys, Pittsburgh is very, very good, Uh, and I'm going to turn to you guys if you have any thoughts on on how this game played out. Nature is healing because the (laughs) Cleveland Browns are back to upsetting everybody with these expectations – that people are too stupid to buy into again and again and again and again. The Cleveland Browns are capital F frauds. They're frauds. I don't care if they're four and two. Baker Mayfield is no good. They 10 of 18 for 119 yards. You can say it's his ribs in his press conference. He said it wasn't his ribs. So I'm going to believe the man whose ribs they actually are. Two interceptions, including a pick six. It is. It, all, it made me so happy, and it was so comforting. And I said this to the guys pre-show. We were t- talking in our text thread, and Jace goes, I think they benched Baker, and I belly laughed to the point where my parents were like, what is wrong with you? We're in the middle of watching the Ravens try and blow this game to Philadelphia. It, <laughs> you can talk about Pittsburgh. I, we're going to talk about them a lot next week, so frankly, I don't really want to talk about how good they are because they are uh, <laughs> very, very good. 
But watching Cleveland get on another big stage, another prove it game where all eyes were on them and everybody said, Well, look, watch out. Here come the Browns. This is where they get to this is where they get to show they're really they're really good. And they completely crapped the bed was just incredible. And I, I loved every second of it. I, uh, I think I'm on the same page as Tim, actually. I think this story is almost more... I do think the Steelers obviously looked really good. I do think it's more about the Browns this game. I think it's... Is Baker Mayfield actually good? Is now back in the conversation cycle. Uh, and then, if you're like a Browns fan, I don't know how you feel about this team. Yes, the Browns are 4-2 and two and look improved. But their two losses are they lost 38-6 to to the Ravens and 38-7 to to the Steelers. <laughs> They're two biggest rivals. <laughs> and the teams you have to beat if you want to win the AFC North. And now it's, it's clear to me the Browns certainly aren't winning the AFC North, so it's going to be between the Steelers and the Ravens here. So, yeah, I think for me, and you know, OBJ, another two catches. I think he punched a water cooler or something I read at one point. <laughs> yesterday um so you know we're back we're back the browns are back baby uh it felt good i don't know how you know permanent this is but if they like lose every game again and finish four and 12 i think that would be the absolute funniest result of the season (laughs) i'm not gonna go quite this far and this is not only because (laughs) i picked them to to grab the last wild card coming out of the afc but they're four and two boy oh boy here is their slate of games coming up at Cincinnati, home to the Raiders, home to the Texans, home to the Eagles, at Jacksonville. That, Real murders row the, there. The, <laughs> I don't see how they don't win at least three of those games, probably four of those games, and all of a sudden they're in theory going to be 8-3, and 7-4, and four, and they're going to still be in the conversation. That doesn't mean I think they're a very good team. Uh, I just think they're sort of somewhere in that middle between... The very, very good teams and the very, very bad teams, and that's why they got blown out by the two very, very good teams that they played. (laughs) Baker Mayfield, I have absolutely no idea about this guy. Sometimes he makes good throws. Sometimes he scrambles a little bit and is able to get a lot of accurate, like, passes to the deep sidelines. His pick six was on just a phenomenally poor decision. It was a double slant route with the tight end in the slot, and then Odell Beckham Jr. out wide. Uh, they both ran slants. He ignored the open outside slant to OBJ and instead chose the double-covered inside slant to his backup tight end, Harrison Bryant. Uh, and that was his second... That wasn't even his worst interception of the game, really. That The other interception he had was actually worse than that. It's very strange. I don't think Case Keenum is the answer uh, for the Browns, so I kind of think... Cleveland goes into Cincinnati and sort of reestablishes themselves a little bit, and the quarterback controversy dies down for at least a few weeks. But Pittsburgh is terrifying. I hate that they're undefeated. Um, Chase Claypool is a large, powerful (laughs) man. Uh, If you guys are curious to sort of watch not important highlights, but you love the NFL, go watch this condensed highlight of Cleveland-Pittsburgh and just go to the last, like, seven minutes of the highlight clip because at a certain point, Chase Claypool catches, like, a comeback route, runs by a safety. He, like, outruns the corner even though he's way bigger than him, dives for the pylon, and it was sort of like something somehow that I've never seen before. He one-handed into the pylon with the ball, 
smashed the pylon with the ball and then just kept the ball in his hand. It went nowhere. Like he like <laughs> dove and smashed the ball under the ground and yet still was comfortably holding it in his hand and I've never really seen it. And that guy's going to catch two touchdowns against the Ravens in 2 weeks, but Oh yeah. Pittsburgh looks good. He's, Go ahead, Jay. He's got a good nickname too, Mapletron, I enjoy. <laughs> Instead of because he's Canadian, um, <laughs> some people have also referred to him as Air Canada, but that was also a Vince uh, Carter nickname. So yeah, I don't like it. I don't like that they have another good wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't even done that much for them, and instead they just get touchdowns from you know Chase Claypool and James Washington, another like second or third round wide receiver they have. Um, but you know that's uh, two weeks from now's problem for the Ravens. So uh, we well, should. Uh, in Just the, enjoy your NFL watching next week, Ravens fans. In the most in the most Pittsburgh uh, story ever, which actually I could probably translate to a Baltimore story too, if this were the case, because Chase Claypool has come on so well, and that you know everybody's in love with Maple Tron. I love the nickname as well. I hate to say that, but I do, Chase. They're upset with Juju because they think he's spending too much time <laughs> like playing Fortnite and on TikTok. Like he released a TikTok of him dancing at the center uh, at midfield at Heinz Field, and people got upset about it even after they had just crushed the Browns. So there's the thing. Uh, Juju, yeah, apparently loves TikTok too much to be a good football player. There's your headline if, if you want anything there. But, uh, yeah, you nailed it. Chase Claypool is incredible. We should note one thing from this game, too, before we move on. Um, Steelers' defense is incredible but just lost its play caller. Devin Bush out for the year with a, with a torn ACL, which, you know, we're never going to root for injuries or never say good. But in terms of going up against that defense – is in it is a massive advantage for Baltimore not having to deal with that guy because they've got playmakers everywhere. So the fact that one more of them isn't on the field is 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 you know from a Ravens point of view is a positive. Then the last team that we we're not going to spend a ton of time time on them, Cincinnati. I texted you guys at a certain point because they had a twenty one to nothing lead at Indianapolis. And then they ended up blowing that game. Also had a 24-7 to lead at, that, at a certain point and lost 31-27. Uh, and that lead was gone, like, not late in the game. That, that, at a certain point, uh, there were, like, I think a full fourth quarter. And the Colts had already taken the lead 28-27. to yeah. And Cincinnati was chasing the game. So they're not a good team. I like Burrow, but uh, they have a lot yeah, of they're... ground to make up in terms of personnel. They're still poorly coached and, yeah, talent poor at a lot of positions, I'll say. And that's, yeah, that's all I have to say about this game, too. It was very Bengals. I'm going to move past Tim because I know he doesn't have a lot to say about the Bengals. But he may have a lot to say about this game. Uh, And this was just, again, just weird weeks in the NFL. Because just as everybody predicted, the Green Bay Packers went into Tampa. The legendary Rodgers versus Brady game. Rodgers looks amazing. Green Bay takes a 10-0 lead. This game is uh, comfortably going Green Bay's way. And then back-to-back picks by Rodgers that I don't know if I've ever seen him do. Uh, One is a pick six, and the other is a pick two and a half. It gets them down to the five-yard line where they immediately get another touchdown out of it. Final score, 38-10 Tampa. Just no more points from Green Bay for the rest of the game. Guys, what happened in this game? And uh, I know, Tim, you want to say some things that you like about this Tampa Bay that has nothing to do with the Tampa aspect. Right. I will, I will hold my hand up and talk positively about Tampa Bay, but I'm going to focus on one side of the ball. It's the defense. That defense is so fun 
to watch. I was admittedly, um, as somebody who has the Tampa Bay defense in fantasy football, I was very nervous. I didn't want to get rid of them. You know, you usually dump a defense in fantasy because they got a bad matchup. I like this defense so much that I was like, you know what? They might get torched this week because Rodgers is playing on another level, but I'm going to keep them. And boy, they shut him down. Antoine Winfield Jr. in the secondary. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue, Shaquille Barrett rushing up front. But I got to talk about the two middle linebackers, that being Devin White and Levante David. Levante David, who has been in the league a long time now out of Nebraska, might be the most underrated player in the league. He is absolutely incredible. He has been for a long time. He flies towards the ball. Antonio made the point before the show, a little Ray Lewis-esque going sideline to sideline. It's just there's a sweep play going left, and he's on the right side of the field, and he's still going to get there and stop it for two yards, and you just have no idea how he got there in time and how he read the play. Watching those middle linebackers as somebody who primarily loves defense and grew up on the best one of all time, uh, playing week in and week out for the Baltimore Ravens, watching that defense work was incredible. I mean, they made Aaron Rodgers look like Baker Mayfield. He looked pathetic. Uh, out there it was, it was the worst game probably the worst game of his career I know Jay said like his second worst quarterback rating of his career yeah only his third pick six of his career uh according to the Pat McAfee show which <laughs> I, I feel like to Flacco had to do that in one game on once right exactly and Matt Schaub had a record of like <laughs> seven games in a row with a pick six and Rodgers has only thrown three in his career but yeah that defense man like I don't I don't really think their offense played particularly well I thought Ronald Jones was was good um, Tom Brady only threw for 166 yards. He did have two touchdowns, and Gronk looks good as well, which is which is scary if you're in the NFC South. But for everybody wanting to uh, – well, actually, I think people haven't really been doing this, listening to reaction. But for anybody who wants to give this game to Brady as the – look what he did. He showed up on the big stage. I'm not doing that. The defense won this game for them, hook, line, and sinker. And, boy, I, I – I am excited if Antonio is going to shoehorn in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers every week, although this one I understand because it was the game of the week. But if we have to talk about him every week, I'll let these guys talk about the offense, and I'll sit here and just brag about this defense all day long because uh, as a Ravens fan, man, I'm jealous. I, even with the playmakers we have, if we could just poach a couple of those guys, oh, I, w- I, w- I would absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers' final line from this game is just stunning. It's 16 for 35, 160 yards, 4.6 yards uh, average, uh, zero TDs, two interceptions, sacked four times, 35 quarterback rating, set, uh, 17.8 QBR. Even had a Tim Boyle appearance very late in the game, and they were getting blown out so bad. So, yeah, I, credit to the Bucks defense, man. Todd Bowles' crew, they were awesome i mean again we literally almost never see this out of aaron Rodgers, especially lately he looked so good the first four weeks of the season and i don't know they embarrassed him especially they were coming off a bye too uh the packers so um <laughs> i i shudder to think the bucks i believe are in first place in the nfc south right <laughs> or sharing it with the saints so it it certainly seems with that defense we'll have to contend with uh, the Bucks being in the news, no matter how actually good or not that great Tom Brady is this year. <laughs> yeah, the Bucks at four and two, half a game. New Orleans currently at three and two. The Levante David stuff, I just want to go back to because uh, just for for funsies, this stuff is guys, it's all there. You just have to. We got to read between the lines and see this stuff in the future. 
Levante David, a 6'1 linebacker with speed, coming out of Miami, Florida. That's where he was uh, born and raised, which just echoes another guy that the Ravens could have gotten, or that the Ravens had, excuse me. Levante David drafted 58th overall in the second round, about 20 picks after the Ravens selected a different linebacker in the second round in Courtney Upshaw. Oh, which no. <laughs> hey, that that guy was on a Super Bowl team, but you know you you live and you learn. Uh, if only Ray Lewis had yelled at this team that every linebacker coming out of the Miami area is worth taking in the second round, could have had Levante David. But I want to move on to another game that also was uh, very confusing for many people. Denver traveling to New England to play the Patriots. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what to say about this game. I was so confused by it. Drew Locke uh, came back for Denver. Thank goodness. The superstar that Drew Locke is had a terrible game. I think his completion percentage was at or below 50% through two interceptions. And Denver won this game uh, fairly comfortably, save for uh, some late game heroics by the Patriots to even make it close. But they lose the Patriots. They're now 2-3. and three, uh, And I don't know what to think of the Patriots anymore. Yeah, it's the Pats' worst start since 2001 now. They did win the Super Bowl that year, but um, it's it's something we haven't seen in a long time. That was Tom Brady's first season. Um, Drew Locke was horrible in this game. Like, like, tried to throw the game away. Just like 10 of 24, now that I've pulled it up. A sub 50% completion percentage. And and both his picks were like back to back drives, like with Denver like comfortably in the lead. He just basically like arm punted it back to the Patriots on like two long passes. It, it didn't make any sense. He was so bad. And yeah, and like I guess the Pats did drive down to nearly you know had a chance to win. I guess in theory, but it never really felt like they were in that game. Like watching it. <laughs> But, yeah, it was weird. I don't know if it's just the Patriots, you know, they hadn't played last week because of uh, their COVID. This was a rescheduled game because of the COVID test and Cam Newton was back. Um, but he didn't look great and the team didn't look great. I think, uh, not to step on other people's points, but we saw two Julian Edelman passes, which I believe is the first in his career. So they were they were really pulling out the stops and still could only muster 12 points against a Denver team that I think is, like, fine. Like, their defense is good, but it's not, like... The 85 bears or anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it shows, one, the, you, you make that point, Edelman threw it two times. When they're throwing out the gadget plays against Denver, you know there's a problem. Because <laughs> you talk about Drew Locke, and yeah, he was bad. Cam Newton was really bad as well. I mean, he went 17-25. to 25. He only threw 150, for 157 yards. He did have 10 rushes for 76 yards. That was probably the best part of his game. And he got sacked four times. I mean, Cam Newton was bad in this game. It was an ugly game. Um, you know, it was it, eighteen to twelve is never the score line that you want to see, obviously. But if I'm New England, yeah, it's weird. All the the COVID regulations they weren't practicing because Belichick shut down the facility because he obviously wanted to protect the players um, after they had dealt with some COVID issues, especially with Newton and Gilmore. But that is a concerning loss. That is that's one we're coming in here regardless of any of the extraneous circumstances if if this was the if this was pod like a patriot which thank god it's not i would be incredibly concerned about how the team's playing <laughs> especially because i'd be a spoiled brat fan who hadn't had a losing record <laughs> since 2002 or 2001 so that definitely plays into it but yeah uh piss poor from new england and long may it continue <laughs> i'll say
I have to think it's a COVID related issue that they just were not, they weren't sort of cohesive. They weren't used to playing a, a game. They had four fumbles. They didn't lose all of them, but they had four fumbles, two interceptions, four sacks, just sort of on a pretty good team, you know, regardless of, of the divorce between Belichick, Brady, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is a pretty good team. And to make that many mistakes for a Belichick coach team, like, I, I, it just has to be sort of the, the lack of having played football in, in a while. They get to play the Bills uh, in two weeks. They have a bye, so that certainly is going to help them. And then they'll play at Buffalo on November 1st. So for you Buffalo fans, yet again, the yearly tradition of getting excited that this is the year that you beat the Patriots, uh, you have your opportunity <laughs> in, in two weeks. And then I have a, a little note here that we don't we don't really have to talk about, but it's just kind of sad. The Jets are bad. They're very, very bad. And they turned to their backup quarterback because Darnold has been injured for the last few weeks. Their backup quarterback happens to be Joe Flacco, who I believe a few weeks ago was quoted as saying this was sort of his opportunity to show that he still belonged in the NFL and still deserved to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And he did not look good. He had uh, 21 for 44. For 186 yards, he averaged 4.2 yards per attempt, which I think is pretty familiar for Ravens fans. Zero touchdowns, one interception. The Jets were shut out by the Miami Dolphins, 24 to nothing. And there's just not a lot. I wrote down pour one out for Joe Flacco. Uh, do you guys want to take 30 seconds to pour one out for Joe Flacco, or should we just move on from this game entirely? I don't want to mention Joe too much because it was sad. I watched it. Seeing as that was only one of two games on at the four o'clock <laughs> slot over here on the eastern, uh, the eastern time zone, and the other one was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense taking apart Aaron Rodgers. Just a great late afternoon slate for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joe. It's sad to see. I kind of wish that he would hang it up, but he wants to keep playing and good on him. Keep getting them checks, man. If, if they're going to pay you for that performance, fine. I just want to pull up this little stat. This comes from CBS. Adam Gase is. 30 and 40 as an NFL head coach and 31 of the 40 losses are by double digits. 31 of his 40 losses are by double digits. The guy, the only reason he's staying alive now is because they're legitimately trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence. That could, that has to be the, the only reason he's still there. He's incompetent as an NFL head coach. And I feel bad for Jets fans who, for a franchise that has seen a lot of lows, this seems like the ultimate low. Uh, and we should also mention the only team that yet to get a win, and I believe the first team to be shut out, uh, and it was against the Dolphins, who brought in Tua Tagovailoa. They went two for two for nine yards and just basically handed the ball off to end the game, too. Uh, very cool moment, by the way, with Tua coming in. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who knows that the heir apparent is the man sitting behind him, was incredibly pumped up to see two on the field, was kind of pumping the crowd up and everything, and was shouting at him after every completion. And then two after the game, went back out on the field by himself and sat there at midfield just to kind of take it all in. A guy who had a very serious injury in college, and we didn't know if he was going to be able to play in the league. Um, very, very cool for him. Uh, and, the, you know, af outside of Adam Gase, those are the positives I'd like to talk about from this game. Yeah, I have nothing to add. I feel bad for Joe. He was great for a long time. The Jets are horrible. Uh, I mean, he's 
Joe Flacco is like 35. He's had enough to a running back who's even older than him. Just a disaster of a franchise. <laughs> the Jets. I mean, well, you're not even building towards anything when Joe Flacco and Frank Gore are your quarterback and running back. So it's all for Tank for Trevor. So we'll see if he actually comes out of school. But uh, they certainly have the inside track. They're the only winless team. Uh, as Tim said, they're the first team to get shut out. So. They're really, really bad, and they don't look like they're going to get uh, much better anytime soon. On the opposite of that, I want to talk about real quick before we wrap this NFL segment about a team that is not bad, about a team that was not a fluke last year, about a team that, frankly, scares the living daylights out of me. And it's they have one of the best players in the NFL. This player is kind of known for, you know, he really revs up around November, December time, and then you get in the playoffs and that's when you don't want to tackle this man when it's cold out well this man in october just had 22 carries for 212 yards and two touchdowns and that's derrick henry and the tennessee titans uh they are five and oh they just beat houston i know houston's not a very good team but i think tennessee is legit good uh just wanted to mention derrick henry's performance outside of the baltimore game i think he's fun to watch uh but you know and then when he's playing your team you're horrified of him i think Tannehill, another guy who got away from gase and might be legitimately good. <laughs> and then I just want to point out this, where Tennessee needed, they were down, and they had to find a way to save enough time to get the ball back to drive down the field. This comes from Warren Sharp, who if you're not following at Sharp Football, you have to. He put this tweet out earlier today. Uh, the Texans were about to score a touchdown, and the time's clicking down, clicking down, clicking down. And Vrabel, in this video, and you can look at it again, at Sharp Football, Vrabel sees it at the last moment. He grabs a 12th defender and rushes him out onto the field. Uh, the number 33 on the Titans is kind of like, wait, what are you doing? They get flagged for 12 men on the field in the huddle. Vrabel pretends to be upset, then brings 46 off. Why does he do this? The penalty stops the clock. He knows Houston's going to score, and it ended up saving 40 seconds of real game time <laughs> that the Titans used to drive back down the field and score the game tying touchdown to send to overtime, which they ended up winning. I mean, just incredible coaching. You talk about guys who come out of new England and you're like, well, it's all Belichick. These guys aren't going to do anything. Bill O'Brien. Um, he <laughs> Vrabel seems like the real deal. And that kind of terrifies, terrifies me as a Ravens fan, but the Titans, the Titans are good. The Steelers are good. The Patriots will figure it out. Everything's fantastic here in Baltimore. Well, yeah, and the Ravens play all of them. That's the, the real cherry on The only thing I'll add to that is that uh, those situations, and it was a smart play, absolutely, but those situations also look a lot better when the team you're playing just feeds right into that because on first and ten, what does Houston do? Throw an incomplete pass and then stop the clock <laughs> and they had no need to use a timeout there either. Houston, I don't know what to say about you. I don't like the Titans. I, I, you know, you brought this up, and I don't like it, Tim. I don't like that they're five and zero. I don't like that they've blown out the Bills and now beaten a pretty okay Texans team in a shootout. They've scored forty two points in back to back games. I think I, I didn't pick the Titans in the playoff thing at the start of the season. I think subconsciously because I didn't want them to be in the playoffs. So I just said, if I don't say it, then it can't happen. <laughs> right. They're very, very good. They have the exact same formula that they had last year in the postseason, And I don't like any of it. That's all I have to say about Tennessee. Well, interesting too. And we don't have to get into this, but I think it's, it's interesting to note that for the first time, and, and maybe it's been a couple years of this, but 
it always used to be the NFC was loaded, or recently. <laughs> this this pa- this power balance does shift a number of times. This season, it is the AFC. You talk about the Bills. You talk about the Patriots even at 2-3. and three. You talk about the Titans. You talk about the Ravens. You talk about Pittsburgh. The Kansas City Chiefs. The Las Vegas Raiders are making some noise. The AFC is stacked. And, uh, again, everything's great. I, I, I am the dog <laughs> meme of in the burning house of just saying this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. This is my silver lining quickly. Tennessee has to pl- – they play Pittsburgh this Sunday. So one of them has to lose, and that'll be good for whichever team loses. All right. They're going to tie now. <laughs> just to- Let's move to the <laughs> gambling section very quickly. We have, we've run on and on, guys, this week, and we don't even have a Ravens game to preview. We had a lot to say and a lot to dislike about that Eagles game, I guess. But um, <laughs> I have one pick this week. We None of us did very well last week, to, to be quite honest. Uh, we all got the Ravens game wrong with the minus 7.5, which I think if that game were played another 99 times, we would still cover that bet 99 of the times. <laughs> they were up 30 to 14 <laughs> with three and a half minutes to go. <laughs> uh so uh, this week I have there's no Ravens game obviously to to talk about or to pick so I have one game that I'm taking a one bet I should say and it's a three team tease because that's uh, that's how I operate and it's six points and the three games that I'm teasing six points is New Orleans first they are hosting Carolina that line I'm moving down from minus seven and a half to minus one and a half Carolina they're okay New Orleans takes care of them at home Buffalo. If you can find it, uh, this line, before the Monday night game started, the line was minus 12.5 for Buffalo playing the New York Jets. I'm teasing that down to minus 6.5. What else needs to be said about the New York Jets? And then the third game of this teaser is Kansas City is playing Denver, and that line is 9. I'm moving that to minus 3. So that's New Orleans, minus 1.5. Buffalo, minus 6.5. Kansas City, minus 3. Three-team teaser. You're in the plus money territory. If you bet $100, you would win 160 And that's my only pick uh, for this week. And now I'm going to turn to my two co-hosts. Yeah, so I, I also lost every game last week, as you mentioned, um, <laughs> including my, quote, lock of the year, which was Green Bay over Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, might have been spite, might have been bias. Uh, I love the defense. The defense is great. We'll continue to talk about the defense here on this program. This week. I have Dallas minus three away to the football team. Now, again, at time of recording, we have not seen the Andy Dalton-led Cowboys play the Cardinals. So by the time you listen to this, maybe this looks like a stupid bet. But I think Dallas is still talented enough. And even though their defense is that bad, uh, Kyle Allen or the one-legged Alex Smith maybe leading that football team's offense, give me Dallas minus three. Speaking of the Green Bay Packers, I'm taking Green Bay minus three and a half away to Houston. Houston. Not a good football team. We don't know how good the Packers' defense is. They might stink, but Aaron Rodgers just had one of the worst games of his career. If I know anything about Aaron Rodgers, he's going to bounce back. So give me minus 3.5 for Green Bay. And then Seattle, who we didn't see. uh, They were on a bye this week. They are another team that's playing uh, before, or at time of recording has not played yet. They play in the late game. I'm taking Seattle minus 3.5 away to Arizona. Uh, I love Kyler Murray. There's no Chandler Jones, though, on the other side of the football. And outside of him, I don't see a ton of talent. I, Patrick Peterson still play for them. 
Is he still on that uh, He does. I don't know if he's, like, good. I don't really think he's all that good anymore. He's right. certainly not their best defensive back. <laughs> right, right, right. They, I mean, they've got some players. Uh, Buda Baker as well. The safety is very good. But I think Seattle is one of the best teams in the league. And give me minus three and a half away to Arizona, even with their defense as well struggling. It'll be a shootout, but I think they'll win more than that. And then just one more interesting one. I'm not taking this one as an official bet, but the 49ers look pretty good on Sunday Night Football. And they are actually underdogs to New England. Now, they have to travel the whole West Coast, East Coast thing. But if you like what you saw from the Niners and you think they can keep it going with George Kittle and you really didn't like what you saw from New England, you can get San Francisco at plus two and a half away to New England. Might be interesting. I'm staying away because Belichick scares the life out of me. But it might be interesting for you uh, other gamblers out there. That line also intrigued me, but also scared me. And uh, we're very lockstep, which did not work out for us last week, Tim, as I also got everything wrong. Uh, But I am picking the Cowboys minus three and the Seahawks minus three and a half for similar reasons, as you said. I just, uh, Russ is still cooking last time I checked, even with a week off. So uh, uh, I'm picking, I think they'll uh, win that game. Although they always have a hard time against the Cardinals, so that's one to keep an eye on. But I still, the half point scares me for some reason. If it was just three, I'd like it a lot more. But three and a half for the Seahawks. Cowboys, same thing. Uh, Washington's horrible. And then, speaking of horrible teams, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills uh, minus 12 and a half <laughs> against the, the New line Jets. can't be high enough for Jace. Yeah. Uh, and the Bills haven't even, they looked bad on Tuesday. They haven't looked especially great tonight as we record this. Um, that being said, they're in need of a win. The Jets, as we've said, are easily on track to be the worst team in the league. Um, have, I don't know, quit on their coach before the season. Is that possible? But the Jets, <laughs> the Jets are atrocious. And especially for our Bills team looking to get right, I think they're going to hammer the Jets. <laughs> All right. As, as with any trends, guys, it's ebb and flow. So we did poorly last week. So it's just, it's just nature that next week we'll be, uh, we'll be back with our picks. All right. I'm going to read through the random Raven clues one more time, and then we're going to get on out of here. So this random Raven Played for the team for four seasons, from 20, 2006 to 2009. He had 63 catches for 1,008 yards and four touchdowns in his Ravens career. He only started four games, all of which came in 2007. His best game was in 2006 against Cleveland at home, where he caught two passes for 100 yards, including a 77-yard touchdown catch from Kyle Bowler. This tall wide receiver, nicknamed Spider-Man, never fulfilled his potential as a field stretcher and end zone target. He played sparingly in his last season with the Cleveland Browns in 2010, never recorded a catch for them. He was drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round out of Oregon and wore the number 87, and his favorite color probably is purple. (laughs) Jace still, I'm going to give Jace a second, because Tim, I think Tim's on it confident yeah. tim or do we want to give jace a second here to try to i've, come up I've got it so i'll give jace I, jace can guess first have a guess jace i, I know who it is it, the name like marcus robinson popped in my head but that was too early um i think he was only there a year or two I I got like nothing. <laughs> I, am, I am like completely blank. I mean, I'm like picturing eight, who wore 87. Like it, the name is gonna, it's all gonna come back to me. But I just have nothing on the name right now. Taller, skinnier, definitely wore a visor. Um, probably sometimes wore like 
I only know this by playing every edition of Madden as a teenager, <laughs> but had like the elbow uh, sweatbands, like two white elbow sweatbands. Jace, Jace has done a good thing here by just blocking out of his memory uh, wide receiver whiffs by the Ravens organization. So, <laughs> Tim, why don't you uh, why don't you give us who you think this random Raven is? This ra- random Raven is Demetrius Williams. Indeed, he is Demetrius with a seventy-seven yep. yard touchdown catch. That's one. That is that's a, that's a receiver the Ravens have had. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect uh, random Raven, Antonio. <laughs> and in two thousand six, that team that was the thirteen and three Ravens team that for some yeah. reason had a Kyle Bowler to Demetrius Williams just like connection late in the season, beating the Browns by so much that they just. I think he, I think McNair was hurt. I think he was injured for that game or he may have started the game and then gotten hurt early on in it or something like that because he definitely obviously mcnair was back for the playoff game but this was a kyle bowler oh, game. i'll never i'll never forget that interception he threw on the goal line on <laughs> speak to this day <laughs> all right so demetrius williams just uh boy yeah, uh, one, that was a guy i i can't think of one single play he had but <laughs> I had to no, look it up to find out what his best game was, and I came he up was with on this the team for a while. <laughs> two-catch game as his standout performance of his career. So, Demetrius uh, Williams, one of the guys who the Ravens drafted to play wide receiver. All right. Anything <laughs> else, guys? Any final thoughts as the Ravens enter the bye week? Uh, um, just, just reiterate. Perfect time for the bye. Just perfect time for the bye. Reiterate. As much negatives as there are, this Ravens team is not as good as last year's team, but they are 5-1. and one. And as we said it again, the last two times they went 5-1, and one, they won a Super Bowl. So maybe the trend continues. I'm going to leave it right there for Jace Evans and Tim Horsey. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.